If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Premier David Eby is promising to find out why the man accused of stabbing three people in Vancouver's Chinatown was out in public, even though a review board knew he was a danger to the public. Global News has obtained a copy of the review board's report on Blair Donnelly, which shows, despite many, many red flags, he was released into the community anyway. Ramina Dea is live with more on this explosive report. Ramina? Chris, for four days now, we've been trying to get our hands on this report, but the B.C. Review Board was denying access to the public. As you mentioned, we obtained a copy, and it's stunning. In April of this year, the B.C. Review Board concluded Mr. Donnelly continues to meet the threshold of significant threat. So why, five months later, did Donnelly get released on a day pass? And who made that decision? The forensic hospital not commenting on camera. Neither is the review board. We're now learning the 64-year-old is bipolar, with psychotic symptoms when manic. He started having religious delusions in 1995. In 2006, he stabbed his 16-year-old daughter to death because God told him to, according to court records. Donnelly was found not criminally responsible. Three years later, in 2009, he was released from the forensic hospital on a day pass. He consumed cocaine and suddenly stabbed a former patient at a friend's house. Fast forward to 2017, when Donnelly suddenly attacked a patient with a butter knife. Dr. Saini testified Mr. Donnelly presents a high risk of relapse, given his pattern of rapid decompensation and violence in the past. The accused has reoffended after long periods of remission between violent episodes and without any significant warning signs, which Dr. Saini described as being a unique feature of his mental illness. To me, it reads like a, a dire warning letter from medical professionals within the, the hospital to say this, this person, Donnelly, is a significant threat to public safety and should not have privileges that are out there. Donnelly told the board he visits friends, goes swimming and to movies, plus uses an assessment tool twice a day to monitor his mood. But Mr. Donnelly acknowledged that when he is ill, he is unable to assess his mental state. The report also details concerns in relation to Donnelly's care while in transitional housing, including staffing shortages, insufficient training, high turnover, and emails being ignored by forensic hospital staff. What's really clear is that there's treatments that are happening and not happening with, uh, without the doctors knowing that it's taking place. And yet the review board and this unnamed director decided to ignore that information. The board's conclusion, when ill, Mr. Donnelly has no insight into his deterioration. He requires significant supervision to ensure he does not cause further harm to the public. He continues to require the oversight of the review board. 
So where was that oversight? Many questions still remain. The most pressing, who released Donnelly and why, given the significant concerns for public safety outlined in this report. Back to you. Great stuff. Thanks very much. For me today, our reporting live in Coquitlam. And Premier David Eby has also seen that BC Review Board report, but still has no answers himself as to why Donnelly was released on that day pass from Colony Farm. Speaking in Langley today, the Premier says he has hired former Abbotsford Police Chief Bob Rich to investigate the situation. Eby says Donnelly should never have been released, as he was a significant danger to the public. So I've asked uh, uh, former uh, police chief Bob Rich to, uh, on behalf of the province, get to the bottom of what happened here. We will ensure that Mr. Rich has access to all of the documents uh, and uh, individuals that he needs access to in order to be able to share details with British Columbians about how it could possibly be that this man was released into our communities without warning, unaccompanied, able to attend a major event and attack innocent people. Rich retired from Abbotsford Police back in 2018, where he had been chief for a decade. Police are investigating a double homicide in Chilliwack. Kamal Kuramali is live near the scene with more on what we're learning about the neighbour taken into custody. Kamal. Chris, we've been told that uh, the neighbours have had an ongoing dispute for years. You can see the two homes behind yellow police tape this evening. Uh, you can see the two homes behind me here. The man who was arrested, his home is the white home with the black roof and the uh, green Ford truck. And then just behind that, the home behind the bushes, that home belonging to the deceased couple. Residents in this community are shocked. Oh, crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just absolutely crazy. I, I, like, what? Here? No. Yeah, now I'm concerned for it because now she's on her own. And now I'm telling you, you got to lock your doors every day. Police were called to Chilliwack Lake Road to an area south of the main city called Baker Trails. The mobile home community here called Baker Trails Village. The reports of shots fired came in just before 8 p.m. Wednesday night. Two people, a man and a woman, were found dead inside of their home. Officers then identified and arrested a suspect. The integrated homicide investigation team says the victims and suspect were known to each other. Meanwhile, multiple residents have told Global News it was the victim's neighbor, an elderly elderly man roughly in his 70s who was arrested. He allegedly had been having arguments with the couple living next door, uh, also roughly in their 50s over their dog. Well, I'm shocked. Um, I've never heard of any altercations uh, the, from the people. I, I know them all and uh, they're very friendly, nice people. They've lived here a long time. You know, the guy that did the shooting was very anti-social. Uh, he didn't like people and he didn't like dogs. Meanwhile, uh, people who identified themselves as family members of the victims, including one man who said he was the couple's son, were here for hours grieving, crying openly, but did not want to speak to media. Meanwhile, IHIT has not yet identified the victims or a suspect's name uh, as of now, although they, are, they have said that they are sending out a press release, hopefully later this evening. Back over to you. Thanks very much, Kamal. Kamal Kuramali in Chilliwack tonight.
A male youth has been arrested and charged in connection to a disturbing assault against a sick high school student in Kelowna. The altercation began on a BC Transit bus and then moved to a bus stop after the victim and two others were kicked off the vehicle. Police say bear spray was used against the 17-year-old sick student. On Wednesday, the suspect turned himself in. This is the third time this year someone has been assaulted at a bus stop in Kelowna's Rutland area and the second incident involving a sick student. Uh, as a community, we're very saddened, we're shocked, we're very disturbed. Um, it's every few months this is a crime again and um, it's a very unsettling feeling. This particular episode is very isolated. We have everybody that was involved uh, identified and uh, again, there's no risk to the public. You're safe on this buses, you're safe at the bus stops, uh, the police are out and we are working to, to, to make this a better place. The suspect was scheduled to appear in court today for a bail hearing. Well, disturbing new details were revealed in court today at the sentencing hearing for a young man who has pleaded guilty in the death of 14-year-old Carson Cremeni. Carson's family delivered emotional victim impact statements, Janet Brown as Janet Brown reports. But first, a warning. Some of the video in this story is disturbing. It was horrible. It was horrible. Still haunts me. Four years after the death of 14-year-old Carson Crumeni, the emotions are still raw. Life without him is, it's hard to even find meaning for it, you know. Carson died after an apparent overdose at the Walnut Grove Skate Park in Langley in August of 2019. His grandfather finding him helpless and alone. He was conscious, but barely. Breathing, but barely. Struggling. Court heard Carson had ingested a massive amount of MDMA, a drug commonly known as ecstasy. <laughs> he was with a group of older teens at the time. What did you say your name was? <laughs> and his final moments were recorded and shared on social media. Carson thought these boys were his friends. They really weren't his friends. In May this year, a young adult turned themselves into police and later pleaded guilty, described in court as a sophisticated drug dealer. Now the sentencing hearing is underway. There were five victim impact statements read in court, one of them in person, by Aaron Cremeni, the father of Carson. And many sat in the courtroom in tears as they quietly listened. Being in the hospital with my son lying on a gurney, uh, holding his hand, being told by the doctors that there was nothing left for them to do to help him and that he was gone. Um, just remembering crying, begging, pleading with the doctors to please save him. The Crown and Defence are both asking for three years of custody and a supervision order. But Defence wants 12 to 18 months in jail, while the Crown wants two years. It's good to finally get some justice, but at the same time, it seems underwhelming. The sentencing hearing continues Friday. Janet Brown, Global News. An update now on a story we brought you last month. More than half of the police files from a recent VPD shoplifting crackdown have yet to result in charges. As Kristen Robinson reports, the BC Prosecution Service says that's because many of the files were never sent to Crown for charge assessment. 
The project barcode shoplifting crackdown netted 217 arrests over 24 days in February and March, including this suspect nabbed on Granville near West Georgia. The VPD says 278 criminal charges were recommended to Crown Counsel. Five months later, we asked the BC Prosecution Service how many of those charges were approved. They asked for police file numbers. We provided 276 and were advised, given the large number of files, the BCPS will not be providing the information requested. You can, however, locate the information you seek using the court services online or CSO. So let's search. Under the open and transparent system, lawyers Robin and Ravi Hira say the public can check whether or not charges have been laid by name or police file number. If you run a police file number and nothing happens, there is no name, there's nothing, that is a strong indication that no charges have been laid on that police file. Global News ran the 276 VPD files for Project Barcode. No charges showed on 56% of them. The BCPS says that's because it only received 143 of the 276 files the VPD sent us. Of the files it did receive, 83% resulted in charges. The VPD says the files Crown received represented 234 charge recommendations, while reports to Crown Council were not completed on 33 other files representing 44 charge recommendations, for various reasons including departmental discretion, insufficient evidence, or uncooperative witnesses. As for the 100 outstanding files, Vancouver police would not go on camera but say the remaining files were investigations that did not result in evidence that warranted reports to Crown Council. Even if they were to have received 100% convictions, those individuals would have been back on the street within a matter of days. Downtown business owner Sunan Spriggs, who's seen repeated thefts, including a couch boosted from her boutique in broad daylight, says the system is broken because sentences are not strong enough to deter repeat offenders. I've lost complete faith in our legal system to be able to do anything to prevent crime. Meantime, 37-year-old Ryan Scott Gillespie was charged with theft in connection with this March 3rd arrest and released from custody. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Dueling housing announcements today from two federal party leaders. The Conservatives' Pierre Poiliev was in Vancouver talking about the housing crisis and Liberal leader and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Ontario doubling down on a very old promise. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Uh, Keith, we'll start with Trudeau because the Liberals first made that mm -hmm. promise to remove GST on construction of new rental buildings nearly eight years ago uh, and he updated it today. Updated and renewed it, I think speaks volumes of the fact that the federal liberals are trailing the conservatives big time in the polls. The gap now anywhere from 10 to 15 points, depending on which uh, polls you look at. That's almost historically large gap. So they had to change the channel. The meeting, as you say, in London, there's going to be a number of announcements out of there today, dipping into the past, bringing out a housing announcement because housing is emerging as the dominant topic on the political stage. They have to do something. So he made his announcement in London. Pierre Paul, as you mentioned, in Vancouver today, continues to talk in detail about some of the measures he wants to bring in, particularly in a bill he wants to put in front, in front of the House of Commons when it resumes sitting in a few days. Here's the two leaders, both of them want to be Prime Minister, both talking about housing. But now, given interest rates where they are, given the challenges that people have in building uh, new apartment buildings, we realize it's the right time to step up with uh, removing the federal GST on uh, purpose-built uh, apartment buildings. 
This will be based on a strict mathematical formula. If you exceed your building target by 1%, your funding goes up 1%. If you miss your target by 1%, your target goes down 1%. More home building, more money. Less home building, less money. So, of course, no one has any idea whether any of these measures are going to have an impact. Particularly, Vancouver's Red Hot housing market has not stopped at all, despite a number of measures brought in by different governments. So we'll see in the days ahead. Interestingly enough, back to the Prime Minister, also promising today, serving notice to grocery chain CEOs, they've got to do something to stabilize grocery prices, although he's warned, if not, he's warning the federal government will take some sort of measures in the days ahead, up to and potentially including some sort of tax measures. We'll see what happens mm. when that shoe drops in the coming days. All right, we'll be watching for that. Keith, thank you. Celebrating 20 years of safe injection and thousands of lives saved at Insight. And Health Canada reconsiders the rules on open drug use. It took a lot of encouragement from city leaders and the province, but the change protects spaces where children should feel safe. Still, critics say it doesn't go far enough, and that's next on the News Hour. I don't think any volunteer should be targeted. A B.C. doctor with many trips to Ukraine under her belt mourns the loss of two friends killed in what she says is a war crime. That's still to come tonight. And a new logging road cut into virgin forest that old-growth logging opponents say shouldn't be there. That's coming up on the news hour as well. Right now, though, six months after B.C.'s drug decriminalization pilot project started, one glaring loophole is being closed. Starting Monday, drug consumption near playgrounds and other areas frequented by kids will be banned. As Richard Zussman reports, those rules are a response to concerns about public drug use being voiced by municipal leaders and the government's political opponents. After months of concerns being raised, the province finally banning the use of illicit drugs in parks. It's been a process with the federal government to get to this uh, announcement today, uh, but we're here. Starting Monday, possession of illicit drugs within 15 metres of any play structure at a park or pool will be prohibited, meaning police will have the same powers as they currently do outside schools and daycare facilities. All this does is give our members back their lawful authority to approach someone who's using in one of those circumstances or one of those places and ask them to move along. The change comes as part of the province's decriminalization pilot, where police will not arrest people for the possession of small amounts of hard drugs. Individual communities felt forced to introduce their own laws to restrict drug use as they heard increasingly about concerns of open use in public. There are a lot of places where you know, they felt uncomfortable, they felt unsafe uh, in their neighbourhoods. You have a lot of empathetic people that want to support these initiatives, but they were negatively affected as well. BC United has been calling for months for the province to add parks to the list of areas where illicit drug use is illegal. Now that the changes are coming into effect, the opposition says a lot more is needed, including scrapping the entire idea of decriminalization. Decriminalization without guardrails makes absolutely no sense. They did not have the uh, spaces in place to help people that need the treatment. The province acknowledging this is not the full response to concerns about open drug use and more will be coming to support supervised consumption sites and treatment facilities. We want to make sure that communities are safe and we want to make sure that people struggling with addiction have uh, places where they can go and connect with healthcare workers. It excludes libraries, community centres, beaches, 
Why would they just do it in parks and then have a bizarre rule that says if you're 50 meters away from the park, that's not allowed, but if you take one more step and you're 60 meters away, okay, go ahead and use open drugs. Those rules will be tightened at least once more, with the province set to expand where drug use is restricted through legislation this fall. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, there are safe places to do it, and the first supervised injection site in North America is marking a major milestone today. Once seen as a radical idea that was tough to get approved, Insight is now 20 years old. The facility has helped save thousands of lives. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, in the midst of an overdose epidemic, there's still more work to do. Staring down twin health crises of overdose and HIV... Drug users and health professionals proposed a radical idea, a supervised injection site. Insight has saved tens of thousands of lives. Insight was founded by visionaries and pioneers who put themselves on the line in order to help the downtown community. The injection room at Insight has seen more than 3 million visits. There have been more than 11,000 overdose reversals and critically, zero deaths over 20 years. Guy Filicella owes his life to this room. My kids wouldn't be alive without this facility. I wouldn't have over a decade of sobriety without this facility. My life wouldn't be what I do today without this facility. Within just a few years of opening, HIV and hepatitis C rates had plummeted in Vancouver. Overdose deaths fell sharply and remained stable for more than a decade. Insight and other overdose prevention sites now unable to make a dent in the current opioid crisis, where six people in BC die every day. Advocates for safe consumption now pushing for safer supply, and in many cases being met with similar resistance from government and the public. Clearly, all roads point in the same direction, which is prescribed safer supply. According to medical professionals, drug user habits have changed in recent years. More people smoke fentanyl now, but so far finding spaces for users to inhale has been challenging. The services offered need to adapt. This is a place of innovation at its, at its beginnings. It continues to be a place of innovation. It continues to be important for the, the people who use it. A Supreme Court decision in 2011 ensures Insight will continue to operate. But other overdose prevention sites have been closed, partly to community backlash. 20 years later, still a long way to go for acceptance and destigmatization of the drug crisis. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, Tofino catches a break. Oh yeah, the cruise works some magic. How conservation and clever engineering prevented a major water shortage. And a first look at some of the devastation in West Kelowna and the properties no one could save from wildfire. Traffic is starting to lighten up across the Portman Bridge and through the valley and through Vancouver and Coquitlam. Uh, now, in Burnaby, the lake stretch is a little bit slow go. From an earlier incident, a truck hit the Willington underpass or overpass, not the under part of it, but one of the pillars, and so that caused quite the backlog. We are starting to see that start to lift up now. How low can they go? At Buy Low Foods, they can go way low. Get incredible savings on great products with the lowest buy, only at Buy Low Foods. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Brad Russell.
Nearly a month after it was declared, B.C.'s wildfire state of emergency will end at midnight tonight. The state of emergency was put into effect August 18th. While the huge wildfires in the central Okanagan, the North Shuswap, and along the Fraser Canyon forced tens of thousands to flee their homes and threatened major infrastructure. On August 31st, the order was extended for two more weeks as nearly 70,000 people were under evacuation order or alert. While nearly 400 fires are still burning in B.C., the situation has greatly improved. 370 people remain under evacuation orders, with 18,000 still under alert. And after 27 days, traffic on West Side Road is once again moving in West Kelowna. The road reopened Thursday evening, giving us a much closer look at the massive damage along the way. For nearly 20 kilometers along West Side Road, there are homes and outbuildings burned to the ground. Close to 200 were either destroyed or partially burned. The iconic Lake Okanagan Resort was consumed by the raging fire. Power poles and lines now cover the road as crews continue the work to repair them. One of the communities trying to recover is Wilson's Landing. This neighbor, my very good friend, he lost everything. Firefighter, I understand. Firefighter, yeah. He was busy protecting other people's homes and he lost his well, own Well, you know, 24 firefighters lives in this area and 14 of them lost their houses, so. Devastating. Very, very devastating. 99 properties within city and regional district boundaries remain on an evacuation order. No word yet on when those residents might be allowed back home. And the severe drought that helped fuel the wildfire season has also been tough on Tofino. Local water reservoirs reached historic lows, but now some relief with reservoirs rebounding, allowing a rollback of water restrictions. Kylie Stanton reports. The district of Tofino has spent the last few months simply trying to keep its head above water. And finally, it's catching a break. Seems like we are in the clear in terms of water restrictions as of this morning, which is very exciting. The community did its part, with water usage dropping by more than 20% after the municipality issued a call to conserve on September 1st. Everybody has to buy in. But a new bypass valve meant to divert water from higher performing creek flows into reservoirs quite literally turned things around. Crews work some magic. We call it temporary at this time. It is in place right now. And we do have the, uh, the valve in an open position because um, it does provide additional flows. It's been a difficult season for the region. The Cameron Bluffs wildfire and subsequent closures of Highway 4 resulted in a major hit to tourism. And while that helped reduce water usage, it simply wasn't enough only adding to the pressure. There were so many conversations happening in the background. All of the messaging that maybe seemed extreme or that there was a situation to be worried about was trying to be proactive and making sure that we were getting out of it. Tofino's water infrastructure was designed decades ago to meet the needs of a much smaller resident and visitor population. But in recent years, challenges like increased demand and longer, drier summers have pushed the system to its limits, requiring conservation measures. 
Under Stage 3, that went into effect on July 10th, all outdoor use of water was prohibited. With Stage 2, that remains in effect, except for watering of food plants by hand every other day during specified hours. But the district is quick to warn, it's still in deep, and the work needs to continue as they wait for the rain. So we're, we're very excited and looking forward to the fall ahead. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, an attack in Ukraine hits home. A Cranbrook doctor who spent a lot of time on the front line there, heartbroken by the loss of a fellow Canadian who only went to help. Plus, I'm planning on one day is ditching this whole thing so the water doesn't run down the trail. The trail builder from Burnaby. How 83-year-old Peter Moran has become a North Shore mountain biking legend later. Good evening and a steady volume on Grant McConaughey Way. Arthur Lang Bridge as you make your way both onto Sea Island or into Vancouver. A typical volume, of course, this time of day in Marple, Granville and Oak are a mess. Canby's probably a better bet. In Richmond, there is a crash involving a motorcycle. Granville westbound at Garden City and it's affecting westbound and southbound traffic. Collision. Uh, Kermac Collision and Autoglass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Brad Russell. Ukrainian officials say Russian shelling killed you... two foreign aid volunteers this past week, and one was Canadian. An East Kootenai doctor knew them both and says she wants the federal government to take action in protest. Cassidy Moscone reports. A long way from home, killed while selflessly saving others. Canadian handyman Anthony Inat, the tragic victim of what Ukrainian authorities are calling a targeted Russian attack, that also claimed the life of Spanish aid worker Emma Iguel and seriously injured two more foreign volunteers. <laughs> The deaths and the injuries are, are cause unimaginable uh, pain and grief. Sorry. The attack personal for Cranbrook doctor Tracy Parnell. He always had a grin on his face. He was always laid back, always willing to do whatever it took to, to get the job done. The emergency physician worked side by side with Anthony and Emma. She's travelled to war-torn Ukraine six times since the war began. They're there to help people, but to go there and then be deliberately targeted because of that um, is, is criminal. Spanish government officials have sent letters to both the International Criminal Court and Ukraine to investigate Emma's death as... Crime. Dr. Parnell is pleading with Canada to do the same for Anthony. What does our government plan to do to ensure that, that so many of my colleagues from Canada who are volunteering there are at least protected from deliberately being targeted for helping? 
Global Affairs Canada wouldn't call out Anthony's death as a war crime today. Instead, told Global News, it's aware of the death of a Canadian citizen in Ukraine. A spokesperson saying, our hearts are with their family and loved ones and Canadian officials are in contact with local authorities. His friends knew him as Tonka, one of them badly injured in the same attack, leaving a stark message for the world. Sent more, more of everything. Sent more tanks to the army, sent more supplies to the army. Share videos out of this war. This war is not over. It's far from over. Cruel realities from the front line. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Just ahead, a promise of protection for old-growth forests. Part of the problem on this file is that the public can't tell where old-growth logging is happening, how fast it's happening, when it's happening. Three years after a review offered 14 recommendations, you might be surprised to know how many have actually been implemented. And later, why the Whitecaps are starting to look a lot like the Canadian men's soccer team. A coalition of First Nations and environmental groups is accusing the NDP government of breaking its promise to protect old-growth forests. As Paul Johnson reports, they say not only has the government failed to act, in some cases it appears to be full speed ahead for logging companies. This is video shot by conservationist Torrance Cost recently on Vancouver Island. A new logging road being cut into virgin forest, a common enough sight there. But Cost says it was his understanding this was a place the government had promised to protect. What we do know is that thousands of hectares, tens of thousands of hectares of that most at-risk old-growth forest have been logged. Rewind back to the summer of 2020. The protest against logging in Ferry Creek was heating up. Conservationists were ringing alarm bells about the rate of loss of B.C.'s biggest and oldest trees and the NDP government was headed for an election. Out came a new vision called the Old Growth Strategic Review, which appeared as a pivot to saving the last of the best forests. Three years later, Cost and his allies say many fewer trees appear to have been spared from the chainsaw than hoped for. Myself and my colleagues have walked in some of these cut blocks, right? There's 10-foot-wide there's stumps of 1,000-year-old cedar trees that were standing a couple of years ago. They are earmarked as this at-risk forest that the government said they intended to defer, and now they're on the ground. The forest minister on Thursday told Global News the province is taking transformative action to protect old growth in partnership with First Nations rights and title holders and that more than 2 million hectares has been deferred or protected. For cost, that sounds great, but it's one thing to trust, another to verify. In many cases, Victoria can't specifically say which forests make up the numbers that they're touting. Part of the problem on this file is that the public can't tell where old-growth logging is happening, how fast it's happening, when it's happening. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, time to bring in uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at our weather forecast. But we've got a storm brewing, uh, Christy, on the mm -hmm. other coast. 
Yes, the other coast. So impacting Atlantic Canada likely later tomorrow. You know, it's only a Category 1. It's called Hurricane Lee. Uh, the problem with Hurricane Lee is that it is so massive that the impact will be felt up to 300 kilometers away from the hurricane eye itself. Right now, they have gusts up to about 135 kilometers an hour. It is expected to track right towards Nova Scotia, New Brunswick later tomorrow, and then impacting the region overnight Friday into Saturday. Now, it's expected to weaken from a Category 1 uh, as it makes its way closer to the landmass, but still they could see wind gusts up to 120, maybe even more. Uh, so that's pretty strong indeed. And then it's also the rain. The impact of the rain could be significant. Some parts of Nova Scotia have already seen 75 millimeters of rain through the day today from another system. And then they could see more than, or sorry, up to 100 millimeters of rain on top of that. And that's substantial with the uh, waves as well. They could could see four to six mil, uh, meter waves. So that's significant. So we'll be tracking that again later tomorrow into Saturday. Uh, meanwhile, for our region, we're certainly going to see northern uh, rainfall on the north coast region, but that front weakens as it makes its way across. And that's what we talked about yesterday. The problem is as these systems make their way towards us, we're not getting much mo uh, moisture other than the north coast area. And that's the case certainly tomorrow. And then again, sort of Sunday. So there's your uh, heat. 30 degrees for Kamloops, for example, we're expecting 30, 27 away from the water across Vancouver Island, 21 to 25 across Metro Vancouver, and we'll see similar temperatures on Saturday also. So two sunny days on the way, lots to enjoy, that's for sure, but we don't have a lot of moisture. A chance of showers Monday, Tuesday, but that's all there is, really, it's just a chance at this point. Tonight's central windows, wind, weather window coming to you from Kamloops. This was shared to us uh, by Ziggy, great shot of the mountain <laughs> off in the distance. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, Christy. Beautiful. We'll bring in Squire now with a look ahead to see what he's working on for sports. Well, we told you yesterday how the uh, Whitecaps are letting Sergio Cordova go to Turkey. They're bringing in Junior Hoyland, a name you'll remember from the World Cup. You'll know him from a lot of games with Canada's national team. He's yet another Canadian who is joining the Whitecaps. Good to see it. Also coming up... They get to build a trail and I get to stay in shape. The North Shore Trailblazer who just can't stop even in his 80s. Best sportscaster in the known universe, ready to go. We were talking about Star yeah. Wars oh. and Star Trek, Star Trek ah, yeah. in the break. That's the tie-in. Yeah. yeah, all right. It works. I was, I was a huge sportscaster on Mandalore. <laughs> There you go. There's, no a doubt. Star, there's a Star Wars reference. Okay. The Vancouver Whitecaps are really upping their CanCon. After adding Sam Atacube and Richie Larea last month, today they signed another veteran from the Canadian national team in Junior Hoylet. His name sounds young, but he's been around. He's 33. He brings good skill, good experience. He's a winger. He's played most of his career in England the past 15 years. He's going to meet up with the Whitecaps when they play Toronto FC on Saturday. Then he will travel with them from there. They don't know yet what kind of shape he's in, when he'll be able to suit up. One thing we have seen, though, from the Whitecaps, in the last two years, they've added more Canadian players, either through signings like this or the draft, which has worked out pretty well. If we go into the market and we have a need, we always look first on, on Canadian options, um, domestic options. But 
the Canadian national team, and that's a really good thing, has to well very well, and we have a lot of very good players. We also have a very big make-believe on our breast and heart, and, uh, and that we are an organization that is, is investing a lot of money into Canadian soccer. We want to continue to develop Canadian players, like we have done with Ali, and, and I think also Ryan Raposo has done really, really good steps uh, in his development over the time he is here, and also again in this year. And then we will continue to do this with new prospects that we have in our second team. And we will also monitor the market and, and wait for the right moment and the chance to, to acquire additional Canadian talent, but not exclusively. Canada defending champs at the Davis Cup. They're taking on Sweden. Vosik Pospisil of BC against Leo Borg, son of Bjorn, who will be in our town next week for the uh, Labour Cup. Uh, Pospisil... Very good at the Davis Cup for Canada. In fact, we beat Sweden 3-0. Canada's on a 10-match win streak at the Davis Cup. Oh, that's cheeky. Pospisil gets another win for the Holman native land. The final eight will be in Spain in November. So last night at Queen's Park Arena, the Man Cup Queen came to an end. Six nations, as expected, beat the new Westminster Salmon Bellies. But this was actually a close series, even though it ended in only uh, five games. But as we told you last week, for whatever reason, the Eastern teams have just dominated the Man Cup for the last decade and a half. This century has been pretty much all about the Eastern teams. So six nations, the Chiefs win it in five games. But great crowds every night at Queen's Park Arena as... Uh, the lacrosse fans got to see the best this year. Oh, speaking of playoffs and things like that, the Vancouver Canadians lost last night. Game three against Everett is tomorrow. Game four will happen for sure on Saturday. Right now, the series is tied 1-1. It's a best of five. If they need number five, it'll be on Sunday at Nat Bailey. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, the Burnaby octogenarian who helped make the North Shore a mecca for mountain bikers. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, Surrey RCMP say a 12-year-old BC girl was one of the victims of a British man convicted for a string of sex offenses. In February, 29-year-old Kevin Brock was arrested by police in the UK. Last week, he was convicted of 27 charges, including the rape and sexual assault of children. His sentence and more details on the B.C. connection at 11. Plus, lower mainland Safeway workers have taken a strike vote and we will have the results tonight. Chris. Okay, thanks very much, Jordan. Well, if you ever hit the mountain bike trails on the North Shore, you can thank local legend Peter Morin for a smoother ride. Morin goes out almost every day grooming and prepping the trails and has a big fan base for his decades of work. And did we mention he's 83 years old? Jay Durant caught up with the Trailblazer on This is BC. There aren't to be any more work days at age 83. But Peter Morin just can't stop. It just got addicted. I get to build a trail and I get to stay in shape. When you take a route out or change things, it just makes it easier to get up there. Doing a little maintenance on the North Shore. First, getting his start by trying to avoid expensive bike repairs. Well, just got out there and started uh, filling in mud holes to, to save, save on rims. 
And that one we'll leave there. Peter puts in some very long shifts out there all on his own. Uh, usually five hours. And we're heading up to just before the first switchback. Fixing every problem spot he can find after grabbing another stash of tools. And more. Once in a while, he gets some assistance for those tough fights. Uh, I can help you out. I'm trying to roll this rock off. I very seldom ever had anyone say they couldn't help me unless I say if, you got, if they got a bad back. <laughs> He's become a bit of a legend with the locals. I remember when you used to bring your motor home up here. When I was in my 50s. You built that too? The 10 best trails in North America, so they, they raided up Royal Cans, which is this one. Getting some press and plenty of praise along the way. And all the thanks you get, that, that doesn't hurt you. I do this for people. Who may not always know the sweat it takes behind the scenes. From a guy who spent decades moving mountains to ensure smooth, safe rides on the North Shore. When I build the trail, I'm, I have hikers in mind and bikers. When I'm riding, I, oh, I could change that. Just figure out in my mind and... Sometimes go to bed thinking about it. You know, it's exciting. And the better you pack it, the better it'll last. How much longer will you keep doing it? Hopefully until I'm into my 90s. That's good enough. Jay Durant, Global News. Got another decade of good work yeah, to do. Yeah, lots of time. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Thank you so much, Peter, for the work you have put in up there over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see what's in store for some of those trail riders in the weather. Christy's got the last word. No mud in store for uh, all the riders out there. It should be dry and, yes, warm for the next two days. We'll see a chance of showers on Monday and Tuesday. It really is just that, a chance at this point. In the meantime, we're looking at, yet again, dry conditions and above seasonal values over the next few days. Don't they like a little bit Enjoy. of mud? Yeah, a little bit of mud is good. Then, then a little fun. You have some proof that you were in the that you were up totally. There. All right, thanks the very much, Christy. Is, is another way to prove. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Thanks very much, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all.